This is episode number 136 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective. Because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Well, when Donald Trump lost the election, exactly as we told you that he would... We predicted that the lame duck session, the two months between the election and the inauguration of Joe Biden, would be as crazy as any, probably crazier than any uh, in the history of the United States. If anything, uh, I underestimated the level of insanity which would ensue uh, during this lame duck session. Uh, During last week's episode, There was an attack on the Capitol that occurred literally as we were taping. Now, we were able to document at least some of what had happened uh, during last week's podcast. But since that time, boy, uh, a lot has happened in the last week. Boy, that escalated quickly. And we have learned so much in the last week about what really did happen during the assault on the Capitol. Now, most of it has been very well documented But just to be very, very clear, uh, we know that at least five people have died in relation to that assault, uh, at least two police officers. There's still some questions about the details surrounding how and why these people died. But clearly, at least one of them died as a direct result uh, of the assault and an attack on them. Uh, The pictures have just been absolutely brutal, horrific. There was so much uh, destruction done. Uh, Now, look, I am somebody who is uh, impervious to media narratives and very skeptical of especially liberal media narratives. And yes, liberal media is overplaying some aspects of this. I don't believe that the vast majority of that crowd thought that they were involved in an insurrection against the U.S. government or that their goal was to uh, assassinate Vice President Mike Pence or that they were going to overthrow the government in a coup and prevent Joe Biden from being elected. That was not the intent of the vast majority of the people there. However, uh, at least symbolically, that was the intent or the effect of the intent of a significant portion of that crowd. And when you uh, assault the Capitol, and let's be clear about the timing of this. The timing of this is incredibly important. This was during the final sanctification, if you will, of the Electoral College vote uh, of the presidency of the United States. This was a a situation that was at least symbolically exceedingly important and was being treated by Donald Trump as if it was the last moment remaining to salvage the nation, where he came up with this cockamamie idea that somehow Vice President Mike Pence— could overturn the election or at least stop the Electoral College from declaring Joe Biden from being president. That's at the very heart of all of this insanity. 
That's what that crowd thought was going to happen, that Mike Pence was going to be the final approval of Joe Biden's election and that he had the power to stop it. That's what their cult leader, Donald Trump, had been telling them. I love the poorly educated. He'd been telling them that for a very long time, even when he knew it was not true. And so when you have two months of the president of the United States, your cult leader, telling you that the election was rigged, that the uh, election is a fraud, that he actually not only won, but he won in a landslide, and that here on January 6th, this is the day that is really the key day in determining the future of our country and whether your way of life is at stake. Uh, You know what? Um, Some people are actually going to believe it. Some people are actually going to believe it. And I said on last week's show before I knew that there was an assault on the Capitol that this was mostly a show. And I even alluded to the fact that I'm amazed that it had remained to that point mostly a show. I'm I'm reminded uh, of the famous scene in the movie Rocky where Apollo Creed's trainer uh, says to Apollo Creed, he doesn't realize this is a show. He thinks this is a damn fight. Well, that was the the disparity between Trump and the vast majority of those of his sycophants on Capitol Hill who were fighting this fake fight. It was a show to them, but they didn't realize or they didn't care if they did realize that to a lot of the cult members, this wasn't a show. This was a fight. And when the president of the United States says, go over there and fight like hell, guess what? Some of them are going to take it seriously. When you have a perfect storm of of where the security was horrendous and where you've got this pandemic where people's nerves are already frayed beyond comprehension, and let's be clear, this is an important part of the equation. My wife reminds me of this on almost an hourly basis. You have this summer where the Democrats are basically promoting violent uh, protest uh, on a state level because of the Black Lives Matter situation. And so and the media is mostly enabling and certainly not widely condemning that all of that plays a major part in creating this perfect storm. So you have this perfect storm of circumstances that results in this horrendous situation making the United States of America, formerly the greatest nation ever created by man, look like a goddamn third world dictatorship. That's what it looked like. Made me sick to my stomach watching the, the, the video and the pictures from that assault on the Capitol. And that was even before we knew the full extent of the devastation, the damage, and the death that came because of it. Now, I am also someone who believes that people need to be responsible for their own actions. And uh, is Donald Trump criminally directly responsible? It's a t- that's that's not an easy call. That's not an easy call because well, I believe parsing his words, it was very easy to understand how and why his cult, at least part of his cult took him very seriously and did what they did. If you look technically at his words, he didn't tell them to go do that specifically. Now, some Republicans are are relying way too much on that because the context matters. In fact, last week we talked about the context 
of his his call to the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, where for you know ninety five percent of the call, there's nothing illegal about what he's saying. It's inappropriate, nothing illegal, but that's all setting up the punchline, the key line, the money line, which is. I want to find votes. I want to find this specific number of votes. So the way Trump does this, like a mob boss, is that he creates all sorts of plausible deniability, and then he claims, well, I'm being taken out of context in this one in this one line. No, 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 no. You're building up. You're building up the, the real context for this, and, and that's this the, the, the key line. Well... For two months, and that's why the context here is so important. For two months, the president of the United States lied. Correct. Not just a little bit. He didn't say, well, I think I might have won. He said, I won, and I won in a landslide. Correct. He said this was a fake, a fraud, a phony, and it was rigged. Correct. That's a totally different deal. That's a completely different deal. That is, those are fighting words, it used to be called. Those are fighting words. When you say that a a presidential election was rigged against you and that this is effectively a coup, that that there's somehow this massive election fraud that is going to prevent you from being the, the president of the United States for another four years that you should have been elected to, and that your way of life now is going to be destroyed because the Democrats are going to take it away from you. And, and we're, again, we're in the context of this pandemic. How the hell do you think people are going to react? How the hell do you think people are going to respond? Especially when he specifically says, go over to the Capitol. We need to fight like hell. What, what, what exactly do you think is going to happen? And so that's playing with fire. And when you play with fire and it gets out of control and it, and it creates enormous damage, yes, you are at least partially liable for that damage. And that means Donald Trump. And that means at least some of his most significant sycophants. And it's, it's beyond comprehension that we're, that we're even debating this, which we currently, as we tape this, there, are, there is a debate right now on whether or not this is an impeachable offense, whether or not uh, this is the right time, whether it sets a bad precedent. Look, I'm all about precedent. Uh, I'm one of the last people in the world that seems, seemingly still cares about precedent. And so we'll talk about what's going on with impeachment a little bit later on in the podcast after we review the last week of insanity. But, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about the precedent issue. But there's also a precedent issue if you don't do anything to punish Donald Trump. You, you can only punish in the way that you, that you have available to you. And, yeah, it's the last week of his presidency. But something has to be done to make exceedingly clear that this is not acceptable. And that there must be accountability here. And yes, there's going to be accountability for those who actually participated. Uh, you know, because thanks to the video being all over the world and all sorts of people more than willing to tattletale on who was there because of the political circumstances here. And I, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the arbitrary enforcement of that because we didn't see anything like that when it came to Black Lives Matter uh, violent protests uh, over the summertime. But I also am one of those that believes this is a, a fundamentally, well, maybe not fundamentally, this is a significantly different situation than the Black Lives Matter. There's similarities. There are similarities, but there are significant differences. This was the capital of the United States of America. 
That makes it different. This was specifically to stop the, the final vote to determine who our president was, a vote that is supposed to just be a, a formality. Nothing real was actually going to happen there, despite what Trump was telling his cult. But that makes it very significant when the obvious intent was to at least delay, if not stop, that vote. And it's the capital of the United States. That puts that, this at a completely different level than most, of, if not all, of what happened with the Black Lives Matter riots and protests over the summer. Now, I will make somewhat of an analogy that the left will hate, and that is part of, part of why the Black Lives Matter riots were facilitated is because they were lied to, too. Not as blatantly as what Donald Trump did, but they were lied to about the circumstances surrounding some of these supposedly uh, murderous police killings of, of black people. A lot of those were not nearly as bad as portrayed. There was a lot of lying. There was a lot of misrepresentation. There was a lot of media hype surrounding that. And so the media, in, in some ways, did exactly what Donald Trump did with his cult. They played with fire, except they didn't get any response held responsible. They didn't have any repercussions. In fact, all they did was benefit from probably good ratings and great content and an agenda that uh, that that fit what they wanted to have happen. So the media benefited from their enabling of those riots over the summer. Trump being president of the United States should be held to a different and higher standard. So there are similarities. There are also differences, as I try to tell my wife, much to her chagrin. And that's partially why uh, I am in favor of there being accountability. Now, how you do this is very tricky. And again, I'll get to more of that later on in the podcast. But let's go through what happened over the last week. So we have this assault, and then maybe what was the final nail in Trump's coffin was his reaction to this. It's not just that he lit the fire. Once he realized that there was a fire, the evidence is now overwhelming that he did absolutely nothing for an extended period of time to put the fire out. Correct. And that was a literally fatal mistake. There, It is, while we still need to get all the facts, it appears as of right now pretty damn clear that the president was at the very least very negligent in doing everything that he could have to stop to stop or to reverse this assault on the Capitol. And his initial statements uh, were ridiculous. They were absurd. It was not until Thursday night when he finally conceded the election and gave a statement that was at least somewhat rational with regard to what had occurred the day before. But that was too late. That was too late. The damage was done, and Trump did not do anything in comparison to what he could have or should have done to try to mitigate the damage here. So that's a significant part of this. You might be able to argue that, well, he just didn't know what he was doing and didn't expect his cult to respond that way. But once it was obvious that they they did respond that way, he didn't do anything close to what he could have to try to put the fire out. And so the next morning, on that Thursday morning, I wrote a column, which you can find at our Twitter feed, which is at individual pod, at individual number one pod. 
If you don't know that by now, you're probably not going to go there anyway. But at individual, the number one pod, uh, where I wrote a column saying that Trump must be removed and that there is a way to do this, but that it's highly unlikely given the circumstances of almost a week ago. I'm not as pessimistic as of right now because a lot has happened in the last six days that has pushed us towards the idea that Trump might eventually be convicted. Now, I don't think he's going to be removed from office before the inauguration, which is when it really matters. And that was that was a big part of why I wrote the column and why I was very pessimistic, because the timing just wasn't going to work out. I'm still not convinced the timing is going to work out, even though he's going to be impeached later on today, because there's no indication that the Senate can pull off a trial before the inauguration. But part of my uh, impetus to writing that column was not just the need for accountability and the need to show that this is wrong from a historical perspective and the need to stop Trump from having one more minute where it could cause even more havoc. I'm looking at that inauguration. And I believe that it's, it's significant and important to have the current president of the United States, whether that's Donald Trump or whether that's Mike Pence, at that inauguration to show the world and the country a peaceful transition of power. That is a significant moment, especially under these circumstances. Trump has already said he's not going to the inauguration. It it appears Biden doesn't want him there, and I, I don't blame Biden for not wanting him there. So how do you get there? How do you get to that moment where the current president is there at the inauguration showing the country and the world a peaceful transition of power? Well, in my column, I write that the, the most realistic way to do that in a very short period of time is to get Donald Trump to resign, which obviously is a very, very, very difficult sell to a narcissistic asshole who doesn't care about anybody else but himself, like Donald Trump. Correct. However, I did think it was theoretically possible. And I thought it was theoretically possible because because there was a way to pressure Trump into it. I believed in a perfect world. Again, I did not predict this was going to happen. But if if I, if you're looking at the world as as what would be the ideal set of circumstances, if people really did the right thing and really stood up, how would this go down? This would go down in the following way. Mike Pence, the vice president, goes to Donald Trump and says, Mr. President, I believe you need to resign. If you do not resign, we are going to uh, invoke the 25th Amendment. The cabinet is ready to do so, to vote to remove you from office. We believe that there are the votes in the Congress to validate that, and you will be removed by the 25th Amendment But here's another option. Here's another option. If you resign, I will pardon you. I will become president. I will pardon you of federal crimes. Who knows? Maybe I'll pardon your family members. And that, therefore, gives you an incentive. You avoid the permanent stain of having been the first president removed via the 25th Amendment, which, by the way, has a connotation of mental illness. Uh, related to it. Uh, And that, I think, is something that theoretically could have scared uh, Donald Trump further because of his view of such things. But in, in a perfect world, Pence does that 
and Trump realizes it's in his best interest to resign. He resigns. It doesn't create the precedent problems of this late impeachment. It doesn't create the precedent problems of invoking the 25th Amendment under these circumstances. And it gets you to a situation where Trump is the first president to not finish his first term in office, and you get a the president of the United States, Mike Pence, at the inauguration so that you have a peaceful transition of power. That's the perfect world scenario. I did not believe that was going to happen because I didn't believe Pence had the balls to do that. And it, it turns out that he doesn't. Now, he might truly believe that that's not, not the right way to do this. I, I, I respect that because he, I have to at least somewhat respect it because he did the right thing when it came to the Electoral College last week, which is what ca- partially caused the assault on the Capitol. Not that he was at all to blame for it because he did the right thing. The blame goes to Trump for lying to his cult that somehow Mike Pence had the authority to override the election, which was lunacy. And so, and that's why people were literally, and this is one of the more damning elements of the video that we've seen of the assault on the Capitol. People, not all, not a ton of people, but there were people chanting to hang Mike Pence. Execute Mike Pence. These were Trump people chanting to kill the vice president of the United States. You cannot be serious. That's what was happening. There's videotape of this. And these were clearly Trump people. These were not Antifa folks. So so Mike Pence, under the ideal circumstances, that's how he could have, and, and theoretically, I mean, I'm, I'm always the delusional optimist, there's still a, a, a very small part of me that thinks, you know what, maybe what we're seeing here really is a maneuver to try to pressure Trump into resigning before January 20th. I don't think it'll work, but I, I still think that that's, a, a theoretical possibility and might even be motivating some of what we're seeing here. I've thought a lot about what's going on with Mitch McConnell, which I'll get to shortly, and that could theoretically be part of the motivation for Mitch McConnell leaking to the New York Times that he's in favor of impeachment. I, I would like to believe that that's part of what is in the mindset. I just I don't know. But to me, resignation is the right result here. And how do you get there? I I believe there are ways to get there, but I I just don't think it's going to happen, partially because of timing, partially because the right people aren't doing necessarily the right things. But that was the motivation of my column last Thursday. After that, several significant things happened, which greatly increased the chances of Trump eventually being convicted in an impeachment trial, number one of which was Trump lost all of his ability to communicate via social media. And this is a very, very complex situation. Uh, I am someone who abhors censorship of all sorts. Uh, This is not government censorship. This is not a clear First Amendment issue when Twitter or Facebook or other social media platforms uh, ban Donald Trump from communicating. However, I don't think that that's necessarily a a, a 100% concluded issue because when you have monopolies like this, uh, like a Facebook or a Twitter, I I do think that there is an argument to be made of a public utility. And once it's a public utility, then you have 
far more uh, of a governmental role in regulating this. And so I, I, this is it's not a clear cut situation where there's no First Amendment issues involved here. But there's clearly a free speech issue. And, and I am my as a libertarian, uh, I, my instinct is always to allow free speech of all sorts, no matter how bad it is, unless it's directly criminal. And part of the many, many problems that have arisen in the last week is how do you define inciting violence? Trump is going to be impeached later today for inciting an insurrection. That's the charge against him. I I get nervous. I get nervous because, all right, how do you define that? I, I think you could argue that an insurrection happened, but how do you define inciting it? when he didn't specifically, clearly incite it. That, that's, that makes me very, very nervous from a precedent standpoint. But let's go back to the social media situation. So much to my surprise, I did not believe that Twitter was going to ban Donald Trump while he was still president. I just didn't believe they were going to have the balls to do that. But I guess what happened here was, and I'm a big believer in political cover, once all the other social media platforms like Facebook did so, Twitter felt like not only did they have the political cover to do it, they had the political urgency to do it because their audience is super woke. I mean, I spend most of my day on Twitter. I hate Twitter. I can't stand that I do this. I don't know why I do this. It's stupid. Uh, But, you know... (laughs) For some reason, uh, that's what I do. I mean, I, you know, I'm verified on Twitter. Uh, I've got a pretty significant audience on Twitter. And so uh, if there was another way to communicate with people who seem to care about what I think, I would do so. But this is the only way that I have. So that's, that's why I'm on Twitter a lot. I can't stand Twitter in, in, in a hundred different ways. But Twitter is run by super woke people for super woke people. That's what it is, which makes it incredibly ironic that Donald Trump used that platform, one, to win the Republican presidential nomination, two, to partially get elected, and three, to maintain loyalty among those in Congress who were terrified of his Twitter feed. His Twitter feed was a weapon of mass destruction against anyone who would be disloyal to him. He used it to literally determine which Republicans would win and lose primary elections. So they were terrified of him because of his Twitter feed. Now, I think that's asinine because I think Twitter represents an incredibly small number of people with regard to the percentage of the population. But perception is reality. And when you got 88 million followers on Twitter and you tweet out an attack on a Republican congressman and 200,000 people, which is more than the number of people who voted for you in your district, like that tweet, and most of them are Republicans, you panic and you you cry uncle and you do whatever the hell Trump wants you to. And so it was a huge weapon for Donald Trump. And last Friday, Twitter banned him permanently. As part of a massive conservative purge, by the way. I mean, I've even seen it on my Twitter feed. I probably lost 3,000 followers on Twitter, and my Twitter feed is minuscule in comparison 
to to most public figures. It's, I mean, and then this is from people who are either been banned, conservatives who have been banned from Twitter, or who have left on their own. And it's it's very difficult to tell which is which. But I mean, there's no question that the numbers across the board, especially for conservatives, have gone down in the last week or so. And there's there's no question that more than just Trump uh, have been targeted as part of this conservative purge of Twitter. And so they banned him permanently. And then this is where things really get scary from a Orwellian 1984 perspective. Parler, which was becoming the conservative alternative to Twitter, got shut down, literally shut down. You cannot be serious. By Amazon and by Google all teaming up. I'm sure that Twitter was part of this, too, to destroy the competition. And so now you have you have two issues here. You have the the antitrust issues and you've got the free speech issues. I mean, there, it's no question whatsoever. And, and I'm sure there are problems with parlor. There's always going to be prop free speech is going to bring problems, folks. I don't know if you realize this, but that, this is this has always been the biggest problem with with free speech in this country is that once we became politically correct, free speech was doomed. I wrote a book about this called The Death of Free Speech in 2005. Because because once you no longer accept unpopular speech, stick a fork in it. The slope is as slippery as it gets. And so, you know, I'm sure Parler was not perfect. I've never been on Parler. I hear it's crappy. But this was going to be the alternative for conservatives to Twitter. Well... All of a sudden, Parler can't even function. They get kicked off the Internet, clearly because they were a threat from an economic competition perspective, as well as an effort by the super woke big tech left to destroy any ability for conservatives to be able to communicate in, in a significant way. That's scary shit, folks. And it's, it's against what liberals supposedly believed for all of my life until the last year. I mean, that's been one of the most astonishing things about the last year. All of a sudden, liberals don't give a shit about being liberal. They don't give a shit about civil liberties, whether it's regarding COVID restrictions or free speech. All they care about is what's bad for Donald Trump. They've become just as much of a cult as the Trump cult has become, and they've given up all their principles, and it's disgusting, and it's scary, and it's Orwellian, and uh, and and there are a couple liberals who have who have said, "Hey, are we sure we want to do this?" I mean, the ACLU, which has become a freaking joke, it's the super woke ACLU, which used to fight for all civil liberties, regardless of political bias, they even said, "Well, you know, this seems like a bad idea." What's happening here with uh, specifically Twitter and, and the deplatforming of the president of the United States? And let's be clear, that that is a big part of this equation. And when I wrote a column about that, which you can also find at Individual the Number One Pod, that was a huge part of why I'm against this. I mean, I hate Trump, obviously. That's why we have the Individual One Podcast. I hate Twitter. But I, I think that uh, what Twitter did was wrong, mostly because he's the president. You want to wait, wait, wait until he's out of office 
And if he does something that violates your terms of service, then go ahead and ban him. But obviously, these terms of service are being interpreted through a political prism. They are not being interpreted in a, in a standard fashion. They are being arbitrarily enforced. There are all sorts of really bad people saying horrendous things, including some foreign leaders and terrorists on Twitter who don't get banned. And so the president is being held to a higher standard. Why? Because Twitter wants to appeal to its super woke audience. Correct. That's what's going on here. It's just flat out ridiculous. And it's setting incredibly bad precedents. If anything, if there was one way to define, and there isn't, if there was one way to define the danger of the Trump presidency, is it, it is in creating all sorts of incredibly dangerous precedents in almost every area of political life. And it's happened even worse than I ever dreamed or predicted that it would. And it's happening even as we speak. Tr- Trump is the bull in the China shop that, that we're creating rules to try to deal with that are going to cause us massive problems into the future. So Trump loses his Twitter feed. And in my view, that changed everything. I did not anticipate that happening as I was evaluating, OK, how is this last two weeks of his presidency going to go down? Will he be impeached? Could he be removed? Could the 25th Amendment be invoked? Could he be forced to resign? Because without his Twitter feed, he's now effectively the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with no teeth. Correct. That, that's what he is. Remember, have you ever watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You got, I've got young kids. I see it numerous times a year. The abominable snowman gets his teeth removed, and all of a sudden he's harmless, and no one's afraid of him anymore. And for Republicans in Congress, they no longer have any fear of Donald Trump or hardly have any fear of Donald Trump because they know he's out of office in two weeks. They know that he doesn't have the Twitter feed to instantaneously attack them for their disloyalty. And then in the future, his ability to, with a snap of a finger, cause them to lose a primary election is probably gone. Now, who knows what the future is going to hold? But if I'm somebody who uh, is in a uh, even a remotely conservative district and I'm in decent standing, I'm not that worried about whether or not Donald Trump is going to have the ability to instantaneously make uh, some Trump sycophant that no one's ever heard of in my district able to beat me in a primary election because Trump isn't going to have that same kind of power, that same kind of ability to communicate instantaneously, especially without his Twitter feed. He's not going to have the kind of money. He might not even have the wherewithal. He might, especially if if it turns out he can't even run for president again, depending on what happens in the impeachment trial. So all of that instantaneously turns Donald Trump from the abominable snowman with teeth to being toothless. And we have seen the impact of that in a very dramatic way. We've seen it in a non-political way, not directly political way, with the cancellation of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is effectively being canceled in the last week. I have talked numerous times in this podcast about how significant Donald Trump's golf courses are to him and how his 
great dream is to have major golf championships played at a course he owns. We've talked about Turnberry in Scotland being taken out of the British Open rotation because Trump owns Turnberry. Now, how Trump got to own Turnberry is still a story that is yet to be written that I want to read. That's one of the top 10 stories I'm very curious about because I will never believe until it's proven otherwise that Donald Trump uh, was able to purchase Turnberry and Doral at the time in which he did uh, using cash without having enormous amounts of help. There's, There's a lot of questions I have about Turnberry, but more to the point specifically here, Turnberry was in grave danger of never having another British Open simply because they didn't want to deal with Donald Trump. Now they put out a statement, the the Royal and Ancient Golf Club has, that Turnberry has been officially taken out of the Open rotation for the foreseeable future. In other words, until Trump dies. At least until Trump dies. So never in Trump's lifetime will Turnberry have a British Open. More urgently for Trump, Trump thought he was going to have the PGA Championship, which was is another one of the four major championships in golf, in 2022 at his Bedminster course. Bedminster is a place I'm very familiar with. I used to date a girl who lives in or works in Bedminster. I played that golf course. I've spent time there. Very nice golf course. That was supposed to be the, the home of the 2022 PGA Championship. That has now been revoked officially in response to the events of January the 6th. There are reports that this is what really has Trump gutted. Now, I don't know how true they are. I'm I'm always suspicious of anonymous sources close to Donald Trump. However, let's be clear. Let's be clear about the uh, authenticity and the credibility of anonymous sources related to Donald Trump under the current environment. In the current environment, I believe they have far more credibility. Why? Because much like Republicans in Congress no longer afraid of Donald Trump because he doesn't have a Twitter feed, I believe that those close to Donald Trump are far more willing and able to tell the truth to reporters now that he has lost his superpowers, that he's lost Twitter, he's about to lose the presidency, He's being canceled. This cancellation gets a momentum on its own. And now the rats are all jumping off the ship and they're willing to tell the truth. Now, on this one, I'm not 100% sure because it certainly fits a narrative that I am more than willing to believe because I've always believed that that's what was really motivating Trump to a large degree. And I'm sure the media feels very much the same way. But it's been widely reported that this is the part that really has Trump upset. And then then after the PGA acted, and this is is the way this always works, because all these cowards, they need cover. So once somebody like the PGA, which is seen as, you know, golf is a white sport, it's a pro-Trump sport, you know, if even the PGA is abandoning him, it's easy for everybody else to abandon him. And boy, have they ever. Even Deutsche Bank, the last bastion of the banks to stand by Trump, has said they will no longer do business with Donald Trump. They're, so how, how in the world he's financially going to be able to function as a supposed fake billionaire in the future with no banks willing to deal with him, I have no idea. New York City just announced today that they are canceling 
significant contracts that they have with Donald Trump and the Donald Trump organization. So we are seeing the systematic cancellation of the president of the United States before he is even removed from office. And from a human standpoint, I have no sympathy for Donald Trump. I hate his fucking guts. I think he's a terrible person. I've always felt that he was a terrible person. You know, we, we have we've talked forever and ever uh, about why I think he's a terrible person and how I've been vindicated 100 uh, percent in in that position. Uh, you know, we, we've talked an awful lot about uh, how my daughter began this whole uh, issue of whether Trump was a, a good guy or a bad guy. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? I always mix that up for some reason. He's a bad guy or a good guy. Uh, I've been telling her for years that Trump is a bad guy. Even Grace is now, while she got on the Trump train for a short period of time at the end of the campaign because she she thought he was going to open up Disneyland, uh, and I corrected her on that, Uh, even she is starting to now realize that uh, Donald Trump is indeed a bad, bad guy. So I, I have no sympathy for him, but it is interesting to think that Donald Trump's life today and moving forward would have been Far, far better than it currently is or will be if he had been removed from office during the first impeachment trial. Correct. Think about that. If Donald Trump had been removed from office because of the Ukrainian phone call, which seems like it was nothing in comparison to an insurrection against the Capitol to stop an Electoral College vote, had that happened by some miracle, if Mitch McConnell had decided, you know what, I've had enough And we're going into an election and it'll be a hell of a lot better, which, by the way, couldn't have ended up much worse than than it did for the Republican Party. If Mitch McConnell had been smart enough to realize, okay, well, we're done here. Uh, I'm going to move my caucus against the president. We're going to give Democrats 17 votes and we're going to get rid of this asshole. Had that happened, Donald Trump would be a martyr. He would have none of the covid stain on him. Right. (laughs) Mike Pence would have all the COVID stain on him and the perception of how the the COVID pandemic has been handled. He would never have had to endure a loss. He would not have the, the capital assault on his hands, that blood on his hands. He would not have experienced nearly the same cancellation that he has in the last week. The PGA Championship would probably still be at Bedminster. Probably the banks would still be willing to deal with him. Who know, New York City probably wouldn't have canceled the contracts. His brand would be far more viable. Heck, he'd be on the sidelines saying how horrible things are, and they would have been better if he had still been president. He would have been saying, I told you so. So it's weird how life works out, and often it's the exact opposite of what you think it would be at the time. But it certainly appears as if Donald Trump would be better off as a human being and in his personal life if he had been removed from office during the first impeachment trial. So he gets banned from Twitter. The talk of impeachment starts to heat up over the weekend. Trump decides, and this is this I find fascinating and odd, and I haven't 100 percent figured it out yet. Donald Trump has yet to give an interview since all this went down. And he's got to be going crazy with no ability to communicate without the filter of the media because he's lost his Twitter feed. He's got to be going nuts, especially when he's got allies attacking him. And so the discipline that it has taken for Donald Trump to not call up Fox and Friends and do a, you know, a 45-minute ranting interview 
is amazing to me. I, I don't have a great explanation for it other than he must be scared. He must be scared either that he'll say something that will get him removed from office or that he has criminal liability for what transpired on January the 6th and that if he says something uh, that can be perceived as putting even more fuel in that fire or that there are f- if there are future riots or protests that he could still be criminally liable even after he is removed or from office however that ends up happening cuz it doesn't fit with his personality let's be clear it does not fit with his personality that uh, he is not given any interview whatsoever and he could he could call into Fox and Friends or Sean Hannity or if he really needed to, if, the, if Fox News has somehow banned him and we don't know this, he, Newsmax, I'm sure, would be thrilled to have uh, a, a presidential interview with Donald Trump. So it's not as if he, he has nowhere to go to do an interview that would be a softball that would be still taken seriously by the rest of the news media. Yet he has not done that. And the only thing he has done is that he went on a trip to the Alamo. Now, this is odd from an imagery standpoint, right? I mean, the Alamo is famous because that's where the Texans got wiped out by the Mexicans. Now, there's an argument to be made that in the long run, there were, the the Texans ended up, uh, you know, uh, winning that battle. And so maybe that's the imagery he's trying to create, that it looks like we've gotten wiped out now, but in the future I'm coming back. I, I don't know. Maybe that in Trump's mind, that's what was – his motivation for going to the Alamo, he wanted, of course, talk about the wall that never really got built. I mean, it's a, that is amazing to me, by the way, that that his cult let him off the hook completely on the wall not really being built. Now they'll they'll claim that 400 miles of of wall were built. That's not accurate. Uh, most of that 400 miles was already there. So it was either repaired or refurbished or whatever. But this idea, you know, Trump promised a big, beautiful wall across the entire southern border, which was never going to happen. It was never realistic. And it never came close to fruition. That was his number one promise. And yet he gets zero blowback uh, from the cult on any of that. So he goes down to the Alamo. And again, he doesn't give an interview. He, He gives a couple of short statements getting on and off the plane and then In a speech there, he reads a very scripted statement where he alludes to the Twitter ban against him. He alludes to the 25th Amendment attempts to remove him from office, and he defiantly says uh, that he's got nothing to worry about there. And, in fact, it's the Democrats who ought to be worried about the precedent set by uh, invoking the specter of the 25th Amendment. And here's what that sounded like. Before we begin, I'd like to say that free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. And now I'd like to briefly address the events of last week. Millions of our citizens watched on Wednesday as a mob stormed the Capitol and trashed the halls of government. As I have consistently said throughout my administration, we believe in respecting America's history and traditions, not tearing them down. We believe in the rule of law, not in violence or rioting. 
Now, that was, again, scripted. That was from a teleprompter. That is not Trump's normal modus operandi. I found that to be very interesting. I don't know who has control over him, especially at this point, to keep him from doing interviews and to keep him on script. This is a notoriously undisciplined man. This is a narcissist. This is a child. There's something he fears greatly for him to be so under wraps under these circumstances as the final moments of his presidency dwindle away under the worst circumstances possible. I don't have a 100% handle on what's going on there, but I feel like it's significant. And to me, it's an indication that he is not in control, that he is very fearful, that he's not himself, and that he feels like he has reason to be scared, whether it's from a legal or a political perspective or both. And to that, right after, not immediately, but certainly soon after that Alamo event, things got much worse politically for Donald Trump. Yes, Mike Pence held firm and was against the invoking of the 25th Amendment, even though the Democratic House of Representatives voted to urge Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, Pence put out a letter saying he did not believe that was in the best interest of the nation or consistent with the Constitution, which I'm fine with. That's that's his view. That's his opinion. Uh, my view of the 25th Amendment was to use it as a bargaining chip or a leverage point to try to get Trump to resign. I doubt that Pence actually tried to do that. That's unfortunate. But I, I actually believe that Pence is someone who believes in basic principles. I don't agree that he's how much of a sycophant he's been to Donald Trump, but I, I at least think he's a somewhat decent guy, and he at least believes in things, even though I, I don't agree uh, with uh, him on, on everything, especially not when it comes to Donald Trump. But then things got really interesting, or not then, but in, in somewhat this semblance of order. At the same period of time, you have several Republicans in the House now willing to come out and say they are in favor of impeaching Donald Trump. Most significant among them, Liz Cheney, the number three person in the House, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. This is a very, very significant maneuver, not just because she says she's in favor of impeachment, but she did so in scathing, scathing terms, making it exceedingly clear uh, that this was not a close call. And what does this do? Well, this ensures with 100 percent certainty that Trump will be impeached later today because it provides enormous, not just political cover, but political impetus for every single Democrat in the House to vote to impeach Trump. Because if you don't vote to impeach Trump now, when Liz Cheney is voting in no uncertain terms to impeach Trump, you're done in the Democratic Party. And so because Democrats have a majority and now they've got at least three or four at last count, I'm sure it's more by now. I'm sure it'll end up being more by the time they take the vote later today. Now you've got significant numbers of Republican votes. And that matters. That matters because now the other Republicans can't claim that this is a purely partisan effort. And the impeachment will be for inciting an insurrection. Again, 
from a legal perspective and a procedural standpoint, I have concerns about the precedents being set here. However, I do believe that what Trump did was wrong. Just to reiterate, I believe that what he did was to lie about an election, claim that an election he lost was actually won. He did so time and time again. He uh, lied about the vice president having the ability to reverse that election. And let's be clear, he did this for his own ego, for his own ego. Correct. He, He lied to his base and to the country for his own ego, and he didn't do it once. He did it dozens and dozens of times over two months, and that that ended up, as Liz Liz Cheney said, igniting the fire, and that the fire then got out of control, and he's responsible for the fire. So I'm with her in concept. Uh, Whether or not this is the right way of doing it, I'm not as comfortable with, uh, because I do think there are precedent issues. One of those precedent issues is, okay, what's the purpose of doing this? I'm all about symbolism and historical record, but we're in a unique set of circumstances here because we're a week away from Trump being removed from office by the inauguration of Joe Biden, and the Senate isn't in session. So this is a big problem that nobody has been able to explain to me yet as to how you get around this. So you're going to impeach Donald Trump today under legitimate grounds in a, in a super sped up, and I believe concerningly sped up uh, process, basically no real process, very little debate, no judiciary committee hearings, no nothing. We're just going to go right to impeachment. We're going to impeach him today with, uh, with a, less than a week left to go in his term. And then what? The Senate is not in session. Now, there's been conflicting reports about whether or not the Senate can go back into session. I've, I've seen that 100 senators have to agree to go back into session before January 19th, which would mean that convicting Trump is effectively impossible before January 20th. And I've seen other reports that indicate that in an emergency session, if Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell agree to do it, then it will be done. I don't know. I don't know which is the truth. If it's the 19th, this all seems pretty damn pointless, except for the issue of whether or not Trump can ever run for office again in the future, which I'll get to momentarily. But this brings us all to Mitch McConnell. And if you've been a fan of this podcast, you know we've talked a lot about Mitch McConnell in the two years that this podcast has existed. We did an interview with my good friend, uh, not Dr. (laughs) My good friend, Congressman John Yarmouth, who I've known for 16, 17 years. He's the chairman of the House Budget Committee, a Democrat from Louisville. We used to do a a TV show together, uh, and we've done dozens of interviews together, including on this podcast. I've not had him on recently because I can't even bring myself to talk to him. I'm so pissed off about the Democratic response to the the pandemic that I'm sure we're going to get in a massive fight. But I still consider him a friend, and hopefully someday we're going to be able to talk again. Anyway, he predicted on this podcast and in other interviews that I did that when the time came, Mitch McConnell, who he loathes but knows exceedingly well, he's known him for 30 years in Kentucky, he predicted that Mitch McConnell would stab Donald Trump in the back when he thought it was the right time to do so. 
And I've, oh, I've thought a lot about that over the last uh, several years. And I've always wondered, okay, well, when the hell is that going to happen? Well, Mitch McConnell just got reelected. He's 78 years old. He's probably never running for reelection again. <clears throat> He's going to be in the Senate for at least another six years. Trump just cost him his Senate majority by blowing the two Georgia runoffs, just like I predicted would happen. And his own wife, Elaine Chao, has just resigned from the Trump cabinet. So if not now, when would Mitch McConnell ever abandon Donald Trump? He has virtually nothing to lose at this point, McConnell does, by turning on Donald Trump, at least not from a personal standpoint. And he's got to be very angry. I, 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 I am a thousand percent sure McConnell is incredibly angry at Trump, a guy who he has never liked, never respected, and I'm sure has loathed for a very long time. So there's this report out yesterday that Mitch McConnell is happy that Democrats are impeaching Trump and that he himself, I'm paraphrasing, is open to the idea, though he has not yet decided, to convict Donald Trump in impeachment. Now, that's fascinating. And understandably, it sent shockwaves in the news media because I've said uh, for much of the last uh, week This is all about Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell. If Trump loses both Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell, he's gone and he has to resign. It doesn't appear as if he's totally lost Mike Pence, but he might have just lost Mitch McConnell in totality. Now, I've said many times that Mitch McConnell is an expert chess player. I'm starting to doubt whether or not I'm starting to think maybe he's lost some of those abilities considering how he handled the Georgia runoffs because I think he made some missteps there that did not help his candidates. But assuming that he's still an expert chess player, I'm, I'm interpreting this action through that prism. And I got to tell you, it doesn't make that much sense to me. And let me tell you why what McConnell did doesn't make sense if he's, a, if he's still an expert chess player. So he leaks, this is clearly what happened, he leaks to the New York Times, hey, I'm I'm giving my blessing to the Democratic impeachment. What does he gain from that? Well, he gains the idea that he's being seen publicly as no longer supportive of Trump. I get that there's positives there. But if he really wants Trump removed and to be banned from future uh, attempts to hold office because if he's if he's convicted in the Senate, if there's a Senate trial and they can have a Senate trial even after he's no longer in office and he's convicted by two thirds of the Senate, they then take a second vote. And the second vote is whether or not he should be banned from ever holding elected office again. That vote only takes a majority. Now, I can totally see where McConnell would love for that to be the result. If Trump gets convicted and gets banned from future runs for for federal office, then that is gold for the Republican Party. That is the greatest possible outcome in all of this. Because then effectively, while Trump is still going to be a troublemaker, he cannot be nearly as much of a troublemaker as he would have been without all this. He cannot be the Republican presidential nominee. He can't run as a third-party candidate. 
he he has no ability to get media coverage as much as he did previously because he's no longer a threat. The threat of running was going to be the currency that Donald Trump used to get publicity for the next three years. You take that threat away, Trump, again, he's the toothless, abominable snowman. So if that's what McConnell wants, I'm all in. But this is not the way to get that done. And let me tell you why it's not the way to get this done. The way to get this done would be for McConnell to quietly tell other Republicans with a wink and a nod, hey, I'm on board here. You don't say it publicly. Why? Because two things happen once you say it publicly. Number one, it it rallies Trump's cult in the House, and it's already happened. I've been watching the speeches before we started taping today, and the Trump cult, the Jim Jordans of the world, are still dead solid in his corner. They're now going to make Mitch McConnell the enemy, and there's going to be time. This isn't going to happen all today. Who knows? There might be weeks. And so there will be time for the Trump cult to rally. More importantly than even that, the Democrats in Congress They fear Mitch McConnell. They fear him as a chess player. They fear him because he has outmaneuvered them numerous times in the past. I got to believe, I feel this strongly, that if I'm in the Democratic caucus and Mitch McConnell says I'm in favor of impeachment, they must be going, whoa, 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 whoa. What briar patch are we being thrown in here? What, 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 is this a trick? Is this a trap? Do we really want to do this? Is there, is there something we're missing here? Are, are our passions going to let us get carried away here? Are we going to go too far? And are we going to screw ourselves in the, in the future by getting, allowing the Republicans to get rid of this cancer? Because that's what's about to happen here. If there's an impeachment, a conviction, and there's a second vote where you only need a majority to get to ban Donald Trump from ever running from elect, for elected office again, Republicans just got rid of the biggest headache in the, probably the history uh, of their political party. It's a huge win for Republicans. And I'm sure McConnell sees that. Whether he's going about this the right way, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me unless, and I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, unless McConnell is really playing some chess, And he's trying to force Trump to resign. I don't believe that because I don't believe Trump is psychologically wedded to that. I don't think there's enough pressure for that. It's theoretically possible. I'm trying to look at all the angles here. I'm giving McConnell a lot of credit, maybe more credit than he deserves. But if if McConnell's goal is to ban Trump from ever running for office again, I think he should have shut his fucking mouth because he is he is going to have a reverse Midas effect, the likes of which we've talked about before with Trump. Trump comes out in favor of school openings. All of a sudden, what happens with liberals in academia? All of a sudden, they go from being in favor of school opening to against being in favor of school openings. So because this is not all going to happen instantaneously, it is really hard for me to believe the Democrats are going to hand Republicans exactly what Mitch McConnell and, and rational Republicans want. 
which is for Trump to be forever disgraced, forever politically canceled, and to be banned from ever running for office in the future. That is a great, that is a eureka, hallelujah moment for rational Republicans. And it is the only path for the Republican Party to survive the Trump hurricane. Because if Trump is still viable in even a theoretical way going forward, it's his party. He's still in control. Not as much without his Twitter account. Not as much as now that he's going to be canceled and he's not going to have any money to spend or hardly any money to spend. So his power is being reduced, but it's still formidable. But if you take away the ability, even the, the I cannot tell you how significant the theoretical ability to run for office is, because that's going to be the nexus for media coverage. Because, after all, that makes everything he does inherently relevant. But if he can't run for president in 2024, that's eviscerated. His balls have been effectively taken away from him. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. The, the reality is he's done. And so are Democrats really going to hand in this environment Mitch McConnell exactly what he wants? I just don't believe that. So I don't know how this is all going to go down. I don't. I, here's what I do know. Later today, Donald Trump will be impeached. I don't know what the number of votes is going to be, but it's, it's not going to be that close. He's going to be impeached by a, a fairly significant margin. It'll be interesting to see how many Republicans, and it will be important, how many Republicans go along with Democrats in impeaching him. What, now, the next key moment is, is it possible for the Senate to be put back into session immediately? I, I don't know. That's a question I just do not have an answer to. Everything I've read seems to indicate not till the 19th. And you can't do a proper Senate trial in one day. I, I just I just don't believe that that's even theoretically possible. And so once you go past the inauguration, I think the politics of this changes. I think that there's a certain percentage of the population will immediately go, why are we doing this? Trump's out of office. We already had the inauguration. Trump has no power going forward. There is, by the way, an issue of security clearances, which I think is is also significant. I, I, I think whatever you can do to, to limit or take away Trump's ability to get classified information is, is a very significant element of this. I don't know enough to know exactly how that gets done or whether or not that happens with a conviction and impeachment, but that's a significant issue uh, going forward. Uh, but, but I do think politically, if this goes past the inauguration, a certain percentage, I don't know what it is, are going to go, why are we doing this? Joe Biden just told us all about uh, how the, the theme of his inauguration is going to be unity, which is bullshit. But, OK, that's the theme of his of his inauguration. And, and the first thing you're going to do is put a former president on trial for impeachment, for inciting an insurrection. I, I, I think a certain percentage are going to go, uh, come on, let's let's move on. I don't know what that is, but it, I think it's a it's a somewhat significant percentage. And then once that happens and once Democrats have time to realize, wait a minute, why are we doing this on behalf of the Republican Party by eliminating Donald Trump from being able to run for office in the future? Uh, it, that seems like a really hard scenario 
for that to happen under these circumstances because you're going to lose the urgency of the inauguration and you're going to have time for Democrats to go, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? Why are we handing this great gift to Republicans here? I would like to believe that's all going to happen, but my gut tells me no way. So to me, the only way that that, that, gets, that, that gets stopped, because once you have the first vote, let's say there's a vote and Trump gets convicted with two-thirds, it's really hard to see how they're not going to vote with a majority to ban him from future uh, uh, holding of elected office. So to me, if you're the Democrats, then, you know, somehow, some way, you do the old, uh, the same thing you did previously with impeachment, which is you impeach, but you're not able to convict. And, you know, are there enough senators from the Republican side? You're going to need, you know, somewhere in the range of 16, 17 uh, Republican senators to, to vote in favor of a conviction. I don't think they're going to be able to get there for just mainly the reasons I just, I just gave you. It's not impossible. Instead of the chances, you know, we ended every uh, episode of this podcast for over a year with the chances of Trump being reelected. I guess, you know, we'll, we'll end this one with the chances of him being convicted in an impeachment trial. I would put that right now at 40 percent. It is a significant chance. It is not in the realm of strong likelihood at this point, but that could shift. If, if Mitch McConnell is serious about this, it, he will be convicted because Democrats, you know, they're too invested now to back off and their base wants this too badly. Maybe that's what McConnell is counting on. To me, that feels like a miscalculation because I think there's going to be too much time here for Democrats to not come to their senses and realize, whoa, what are we doing, especially if this gets passed in inauguration. But let's be clear. This is far, far, far less settled than the previous impeachment is. All sorts of crazy things could happen. And as I said at the start of last week's uh, podcast, even before I knew about the assault on the Capitol, there was no way this reality show was going to end in a calm, normal, organized fashion. This was going to be a shit show till the end. And make no mistake, the shit show ain't over yet. So the next time we talk will be just after the inauguration. By the way, we plan to have two more episodes after this one, but that could change depending on what it looks like for an impeachment trial in the Senate. So even even the number of episodes we have left for the Individual One podcast is still up in the air, just like almost everything else is in this country. But as of right now, we'll put the chances of Donald Trump uh, being impeached at 100% and being convicted at uh, 40%, very much depending on the timing of that uh, Senate trial. And if somehow it can happen before the inauguration, then I would put that chance, the chances of conviction at being much higher uh, than 40%. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Individual One Podcast. As is always the case, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual the Number One Pod. That's at Individual the Number One Pod. Until next week, hang in there. My name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.